Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a five-part series on supply chain data management. This series is sponsored by Ascent Compliance. Ascent Compliance provides cloud-based SaaS solutions that help companies manage their supply chain data, facilitate stakeholder and supply chain education on regulatory and program requirements, and increase transparency between businesses. Ascent helps companies overcome the challenge of meeting their compliance business requirement. Finally, Ascent streamlines the data exchange process for suppliers, making it easier for them to comply with their customers' data requests. For more information, check out their website, ascentcompliance.com. In this five-part podcast series, I visit with several members of the Ascent Compliance team to introduce the topic of market access, consider what it is, an overview of trade compliance, how federal acquisition regulations, FARs, flowdowns affect supply chain compliance, the value of continuous monitoring, and the origins of laws impacting market access. The fascinating exploration of a topic that compliance practitioners need to be aware of. This third episode, I'm visited with Jared Connors, and we talk about the need and usefulness of continuous monitoring in the supply chain to help ensure ongoing and continued market access. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again. And today I have with me Jared Connors. Jared is the subject matter expert, CSR at Ascent Compliance. Jared, first of all, um, welcome back and thanks for taking the time to visit with me. Thank you, Tom. Happy to be here. So, Jared, I wanted to really explore the value of continuous monitoring because CSR programs often receive criticism for the way in which the companies uh, companies gather data. Your average company conducts an outreach campaign to collect self-declarations from suppliers to better understand their internal practices and their potential impact for risk assessment. If this is not done right or someone doesn't fill out the information truthfully, uh, they can become a, a four-letter word as they are often believed to be nothing more than opportunities for suppliers to put their best foot forward, failing to paint an accurate picture of the real story of what's happening within their four walls. So with that sort of uh, introduction, how would you help a company think through uh, using adverse media for monitoring uh, supplier evaluations today? Sure. Good, good question. So you're right. Uh, questionnaires often get a bad name because of the way they might be administered or how they ask questions because they might not be necessarily getting at the right drivers to understand the internal management procedures and policies of an organization. And so when you have a questionnaire and that's your only methodology for outreach to a supplier, oftentimes those on the outside looking in at corporate social responsibility programs don't understand the value of the information received from those questionnaires. And sometimes those questionnaires aren't necessarily written very effectively. And, and companies, one of the biggest criticisms companies get to administering questionnaires for corporate social responsibility is the infrequency of how they're and when they're getting the data. And, and that's why we've seen a big trend in companies that want to ensure that they're continuously monitoring their suppliers. And that's no better way to do so by utilizing adverse media reviews. So what companies can do is they can be informed of public information against supplier behavior, whether it be directly covering things within the questionnaire or looking at the supplier as a whole by 
openly reviewing public record sources on the supplier to see what's coming out against them, whether it be a credible blog source or an actual media outlet or an NGO report. There's a lot of things that you can do to actually monitor the supplier with very little impact to your organization and, of course, very, very little impact to the actual supplier. So what sort of issues would you suggest uh, a company screen for, Jared? Well, corporate social responsibility or sustainability or ESG, environmental, social, and governance, depending on how you use the acronym or the term internally, those those areas cover a lot. And when you think about the, the three main focus areas of CSR, you talk about economic, environmental, and social issues. And so essentially what you want to understand is what's the economic viability of this supplier and how they're impacting their local community, um, how they're impacting you, especially if they could have financial insolvency issues, social issues, labor rights, um, uh, and then environmental, of course, um, how they're impacting or what's their local footprint or, or how they're impacting the environment or how their products are viewed also as impacting the environment. Sometimes it's not about just what there might be polluting the river next to them, for example, in environmental issues. It might be their products directly, say, the, the material makeup of a battery cell. And so when you think about how you can utilize and what you should be screening for, you need to look at a wide variety of risk issues. And so when you, you set out to say, what, do, what am I currently evaluating this supplier for within, say, my corporate social responsibility questionnaire, take those risk categories, if you will, and turn them into public record reviews for those suppliers. So I am looking at anything that's been produced against this supplier or about this supplier that might uh, be an insight into their behavior. So in terms of, uh, I found that really interesting to take the risk categories and slot in the social media. Could you maybe flip that, Jared, and say, I'm going to look at social media and then see what risk categories might pop up? Exactly. And that's the learning of the adverse media program and, and how you might expand the way you look at these things. So here's a, here's a couple good examples of this. So last year, this is I'm speaking specifically of of a conflict minerals issue. Many companies out there are reporting on conflict minerals today or responsible minerals, as is more commonly known now in 2019. And this is looking at and collecting data on upstream materials suppliers, so smelters and refiners, for example. And then, of course, evaluating those smelters and refiners for audits that's been conducted against them to validate their material sources of origin back to the mine. And this is very far removed from your average company out there in the supply chain because you may be six to eight layers removed from a smelter or refiner in your supply chain, yet you're gathering information on these companies with no direct business interest. Sometimes uh, things come out against these companies, and we don't, again, we're not actively looking at these companies sometimes as downstream organizations because we're simply trying to gather details on their name, if you will. Who are you? I want to know who you are and if you're putting material into my supply chain. Well, last year, about this time, is actually April 6th, OFAC, Treasury Department, passed an enforcement against um, a Russian oligarch. And what was found was that that particular Russian oligarch had ownership interest in a couple of Russian gold refineries, very, very common gold refinery sources for companies utilizing gold in their products, whether it be gold wire bond or a plating solution like potassium gold cyanide to plate their electronic components 
um, with gold, or it could be a, a jewelry company that could have been impacted, or simply an investment company. And it took almost two months for that to shake down into the conflict minerals world to, to, for companies to realize that this could be an issue for their sourcing if they um, uh, have these refineries in their supply chain. And a uh, vast majority of all electronic companies and automotive and, and retail did if they had gold in their products. And that issue, again, came out on April 6th. Adverse media reviews looking at social media found this on April 6th. And when I say that, I say the tool that we employ for this found this issue on April 6th and was able to make correlation. And that's because we were utilizing social media to help expand our risk categories and, and get us to look at different issues within the upstream. So we were actually testing our system internally here by evaluating social media sources looking at the different types of the way that we should categorize risk. So we, we put together search syntaxes, if you will, to go out and, and, and search against the upstream because we don't want to just simply put in a name. We'll get the phone book. We'll get everything about their stock price and anything else that's largely irrelevant, irrelevant to risk. Um, so we're trying to create viable search syntaxes to give us pointed information that could say, you know, if you have a company utilizing these guys as material, you could have an issue. And so it was social media that first led us to this. And we were tracking the issue fully two months before this was mainstream for a lot of organization. And that's because of the way that we were utilizing credible social media sources. So it's really interesting. And it was, a, it was a great exercise and taught us a lot and actually helped us expand the way that we were looking at risk issues in the upstream to then apply that to different aspects of corporate social responsibility. Pretty fascinating for us who, uh, who get, you know, geek out on the topic, if you will. Well, let's just continue with that geek theme because it occurs to me, Jared, the, the techniques and strategies you're talking about are just one part of your uh, continuous monitoring process, but they also fit in with uh, more substantive or backbone parts such as code of conduct, expectations, and even the four-letter word we started with, questionnaires. How would you advise a company to think through the entire spectrum of tools uh, and um, uh, structural components of your compliance program for this exercise? Sure. That, that, that's a really valid point that you make and, and question you raise there is, what should you be doing when you're looking at third parties? Some, some organizations will put on their websites that I have a supplier expectation or code of conduct and, and and the first question I always ask somebody who's in charge of that program is, well, what are you doing to substantiate the behaviors of your suppliers to ensure that they're adhering to that code of conduct? And oftentimes we hear companies say, well, I asked them to sign it. Well, I, I have to, just like any person, read and understand the terms and conditions when I buy a plane ticket or I do an update on a particular app or, or you know, my, my media streaming, my music streaming service. Um, and uh, I've never once read those things, I will admit, because um, I'm not going to sit there and read a bunch of legal jargon on the terms and conditions of buying a plane ticket. I just gave you revenue. I'm going to go ahead and get that seat on the airplane, right? And so... Um, uh, with that, we can't expect that suppliers truly understand what our expectations are. And so that's why we administer questionnaires often. And again, the way we administer questionnaires really is indicative of the value we get out of those questionnaires. So if we simply ask them, do you have a policy on child labor, for example, who, what everyone's going to answer, yes, because they know that that's 
socially the right answer if you're asking me the question. But if we break down elements of the policy, we should better understand what their behavior and their practices. Simultaneously, if we employ that to adverse media, if we start looking at a company and we say Acme Corporation child labor as a search syntax in adverse media, we may never see anything. But if we start to look at the way that we evaluate that that search against that company by looking at what our expectations are in the policy, um, recruiting fees, uh, overtime hours expectations, um, forced and bonded labor, and we start using the the terminology that that should be contained within the policy and terminology that may be picked up by a reporter, an NGO, who's saying, you know, I've evaluated their labor practices internally, and nowhere do we say child labor in that in that article. And so sometimes you can miss things. So if we look at use, utilizing the language that's consistent with industry standards, we're going to have better results when we look at or when we search for supplier behavior, because there's a lot more out there on even some very small companies than, than one might believe because of what's being picked up in industry reports um, or, um, or NGO reports on uh, particular sectors, whether it be retail or electronics and the labor practices within a lot of these facilities around the globe. So, Jared, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time. I hope you will join us tomorrow for our next episode where we look at uh, FARS flow downs uh, back with uh, Travis Miller. Jared, this has been a fascinating exploration, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of our five-part exploration of market access and how that relates to the supply chain compliance professional. It's a great series hosted by Ascent Compliance. I know you'll get a lot out of it. Check out our sponsor, Ascent Compliance, at their website, www.ascentcompliance.com. This special five-part podcast series is a presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.